Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin, AsianBoxing.info. This past weekend, one of the best weekends of the year so far for Asian Boxing. We got to see two legends, Nonito Donaire, Therese Kitsurungvasai. Let's start with Rungvasai. Just a weird bout, Scott. I, I, I was frustrated watching this because he decided, hey, I'm going to go orthodox when I've had a lot of success in the past couple of fights being a southpaw. Yeah, that was part of the issue is he did decide to fight orthodox when he's a natural southpaw. He also tried to box with a master boxer. It's like one of those mistakes he could possibly overcome both in the same fight. Mm. Some of the worst tactics I've seen a top, a top level fighter use since oh, Manny Pacquiao trying to fight Mayweather 100. Why? Why Why did he do that? Because he won the last fight. I know it was close. It was very competitive. But he beat Estrada in his usual style of just taking licks and giving it back and fighting in the southpaw stance. And he changed it up because he said, well, Estrada saw that southpaw style and he saw me walk him down. Now let me switch things up. Why did he do that? That hasn't really been a very good reason given. Um, I assume he thought he'd have success with that. The bigger issue is why didn't he revert to what he does so well earlier in the fight? It was what, round 10 or 11 that he you know, actually fought as a southpaw and guess what? He had success. Um, so you kind of think, had he done that at round 4, round 5, round 6, this could have been really intriguing. It sets up a matchup for the third fight. It really does. That's I don't know if that's what his plan was. Like, oh, let, let's try and get and get a third fight out of this. I, I think even if he had fought Southpaw and won, they probably would have gotten a third one. But now it, the story is, well, he, he went orthodox and let's see a trilogy that will break the tie and let's see Sorung Vasai fighting like he should or he should have this past weekend in, in the Southpaw stance. Funnily, a number of um, Thai websites have said a rematch will be organized in the next six months. Whether that happens is yet to be seen, but maybe they felt that was in the back pocket. We can get two big paydays out of this. Yeah, especially for a guy like Sarang Vasai, I don't want to accuse him of anything, but being in a lower weight class and now finally getting a good payday, um, you have to feed your family too, and, and getting that good payday Twice is better than getting it just once. You'd imagine a rematch with Estrada would get him more than, even as the challenger side would still get him more than he'd get for first one like you find. It was still disappointing. Whatever the reasoning, it was a disappointing performance from someone we couldn't expect a lot, lot better from. Uh, just one of those frustrating performances because you know he's better um, and you know what he can do, and he didn't do it. If he had fought... Like he usually didn't, just got outboxed. I would have been okay with that, but but that wasn't the case. Also on that card, we got to see a couple of young Uzbekistans. Uh, one kind of impressed with a, a KO performance, and the other I thought could have done a little better. And we also saw some crazy scorecards with Giasov. Yeah, Shakran Giasov, he was expected to go in there. He was expected to really do a job on Emmanuel Taylor. And I suspect he thought he was supposed to do a job on him. And when you overlook somebody, you tend to not do what you should do. And 
he looked really human. He looked like he was chinny. He looked really poor, poor timing. Everything was off. And that was an incredibly close about how two judges say nine rounds to one is a mystery. Taylor didn't get the script. He didn't see that Giasoff uh, was a great amateur, and so he should should just lay down and take the loss. No, he he went into that ring last week looking for the win. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, it's almost like he went. Well, I've not been in the ring for two years. Let's come back with a bit of vengeance, and he's really unlucky not to have gotten more from that than he than he did. And then Akma Daliev, he had a KO in, in the third round, so that was a big win for the young uh, Uzbekistan. Yeah, Akma Daliev actually got a sort of bit of a double win on that show. He stopped former WBC bantamweight title challenger Carlos <laughs> Carlson, and his former opponent Isaac Zarate pushed Alberto Ezequiel Melian, a former amateur standout from Argentina, all the way on the same card. So he's yeah, not just. Got the win over Carlson, but you can go, I have a better win over Zarate than Melian, who's another highly, highly touted amateur standout. Yeah, what do you what do you think is next for Akhmadaliev and Giasov based on their performances this past weekend? For Giasov, I think he has to face a punch. I think he has to face someone who is a big threat and is clearly a threat. So he's gonna keep him sharp. For Akhmadaliev, <laughs> He's a WBA managed challenger, so you'd imagine a fight against Daniel Roman, who won on that very same card. That's the logical step. It's something that I suspect World of Boxing will push for him. The alternative is he fights another world-ranked type of guy and gets some experience. If he does that, then he's going to be waiting longer and longer for his shot because there's an IBF mandatory also up there for Daniel Roman, and Roman may want to face TJ Dehaney in a rematch. So if you're in McDaliev's shoes, you push it quickly, you go for it now. I know they aren't Asian, but that Roman Doheny fight, that was that was fun. Both guys uh, gave their all in that fight, and you just saw one kind of willing himself to the victory with those devastating body shots. But uh, I tip my cap to both those guys. That was championship boxing. Yeah, it's championship boxing. And in, taking it back to Asia, Iwas is the IBF mandatory. Pat Medallier is the WBA mandatory. In both match, he won titles in Japan. It's... It's strange how them two particularly have now got this strange link to Japan at the moment. Would you mind seeing a, a rematch? Because I would not. I, I would not mind seeing Doheny Roman too. I thought it was that good. Yeah, by all means. If it pushes the mandatories back, then so be it. It is such a good fight. It was fantastic. The guys both came across with absolute class. The only real issue I have is that the division is on a bit of a standstill at the moment. There's too many fighters to perhaps have that rematch at the moment when you've got like guys like Wake, Kamida, Vargas, all these other guys sort of pushing for a shot and it would feel unfair on them in some ways to see them pushed back and held back. But as a fan of good fights, Roman Dehaney too makes so much sense. Also last weekend, we got to see the Filipino Flash back in action looking for his 40th win. He got it in spectacular style, kind of turned back the clock albeit against a lesser opponent. Yeah, as we mentioned last week, Donair versus Tete was cancelled about an hour before we recorded last week's podcast. Basically, um, right before we started, you just broke my heart because the first, we got on and we were ready to start, and you're like, yep, Tete's injured. And I was like, what? No, that's horrible news. You ruined my weekend. But Donair 
recaptured it with such a fantastic knockout. That was vintage Donaire. The left hook that's brought him so much success landed clean on Young. You can see he's looking to time it throughout the bout. People have said Young put up a great effort. I think, to be honest, he fought scared. He had flashes and he's clearly talented, but he fought very scared. And you don't back off Donaire repeatedly because you're just encouraging him to come forward. You're encouraging him to find the timing and space for that left hook. And it was only only a matter of time. And I know he was fighting someone who is not in the same the same world level. But Donaire, because of his power, to me, he's just always a threat. No matter how old he is, I know he's gotten a little slower. Maybe is not as explosive, but he always has that power, which makes him dangerous in any fight. I'm excited to see him and Inouye. I think that's going to be the fight. Of course, Naoya has to take care of business against Emmanuel Rodriguez on the 18th. But I know Donaire wants that fight as well. When you think back to the original sort of drone, it was obvious that Inouye did want to fight Donaire in the quarterfinals. And then the Burnett being seed one picked Donaire, picked the biggest name out there and delayed that potential fight. And then Donaire, of course, upsets Burnett and gets past Tete on an injury. And it's now the obvious. It's almost like it's written in the stars that this will be the fight we eventually get just perhaps a year and a half after it was supposed to be or could have taken place. Yeah, I think they were talking to each other kind of on that day saying, let's both promise each other we're going to make it to the finals so we, we can fight and bring um, a boxing match in Japan. Hopefully that would, I mean, that's going to that's gonna be crazy because Donaire is big everywhere in the world. And uh, now you know, yeah, he's making his presence known uh, at the world level as well. It's about that makes so much sense. Donaire, although I'm not, you know, a superstar, he can walk down the streets in Japan. He's very popular with the crowds over there. He's very popular with the fighters over there. He um, regularly goes over there to sort of like do sparring and training. He's very close with the Yokohama Hickory Gym, often sparring with the Rayo Akawa. It seems to be something between those two men, the general respect, the sort of desire to face each other that sort of adds more to it. It's not a bout that's been made out of bad beef or anger towards each other. It's about made out of pure respect, like the Dehenny versus uh, Roman Bout we spoke about a few moments ago. I also think it's Naoya Inouye having that reverence for someone like a Donaire who has done it uh, four different weight classes, world champion, kind of brought attention to the lower weight classes to the casual fan. And people people know who Nonito Donaire is because of his success. And that's something that Inouye wants to do. And what better way than to beat him to get your name noticed even more. A passing of the torch, if you will, and a very clear potential passing of the torch fight. And don't we all love them? One more fight that was exciting, a title fight on the ladies' side, Kasumi Saeki. She won a title match in her fourth, that's right, I said it, fourth fight. You said this is exciting. Oh, come on, let's be fair. It was completely one-sided. Seki is, um, I've uh, I've been a bit of a champion for female boxing. I think Seki is probably the most naturally talented female fighter out there. She's lightning quick, incredibly sharp. You kind of compare her to perhaps Katie Taylor or Clarissa Shields, and she just has that extra sharpness, that pure boxing ability that 
Shields certainly doesn't have. Shields is a fantastic fighter, but she's a fantastic fighter. Seiki is a brilliant boxer, and the way she took out Elizabeth Lopez over the weekend was sensational. And only in her fourth fight. That's what rings close to me. I, I know, uh, especially in women's boxing, it's maybe a little bit easier to get those title shots, but that's still amazing. Fourth professional your, fight and your world champ. Fourth professional fight, age 22, been professional for less than a year. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So the weekend was phenomenal. Today, earlier today, there was another title matchup, a Japanese featherweight bout. I personally haven't been able to see it, but Scott, uh, you have ears close to the ground. I know you saw some rounds. Rei Abe, Minamoto. What was this fight like? This was strangely very compelling, a bit like the Deheni versus Roman fight. It was two guys who had a lot of respect for each other. It was about that swung one way, then swung the other. Um, Abe was dropped at the very end of the opening round. He was dropped again in round two. Had to really dig deep and battle his way back in. Was then rocked and shaken badly in round eight. Pulled out at the end and just managed to get the draw. It's one of those where Abe, when he got flying in rounds five, four, and seven, looked sensational. But Minamoto's power was always an issue and proved to earn Minamoto the draw, if I've been honest. Well, uh, at least Minamoto gets to keep his title and, and he deserved it, it sounds like, with or by dropping Abe. For Abe, we haven't really seen him get touched up a lot and get dropped recently. But again, he's in there with a Japanese champion, so he needed to expect um, a tough fight against uh, Minamoto. Yeah, uh, at the end of the fight, it, it seems like Abe had more left in the tank, and Minamoto was spotting a really badly swollen left eye and being very lucky to have such a great start. Had he not scored either of those knockdowns, Abe would have won. Um, Abe certainly looked more despite with himself. Minamoto was talking about actually moving up in weight after the bout. Um, so there is perhaps a struggle to make 126 pounds there. Rematch possibilities for these two? As certainly that was what the fans want in. Abe seemed to suggest it. It comes down to whether or not Minamoto stays at featherweight or moves up. If he stays there, it's the obvious, <laughs> the obvious matchup. Yeah, I was excited for this, and I'm looking forward to watching this. Uh, will this be on AsianBoxing.info? Uh, Unfortunately, not. It'll be on BoxingRes.com. Um, what BoxingRes put up, we can't actually share. So everyone should go and visit BoxingRes. I think we say this every week now. Um, and this was you know, not their first good fight of the week either. They had an absolute scorcher on Sunday with Yuri Siego Akwai um, having a three-minute shootout with Yoshiki Minato, which consisted of three knockdowns and an absolute war. So get boxing rares and watch the Abe fight and then watch the Akai fight and uh, you get your money's worth for the month. There you go. I want to see uh, both of those bouts. Yeah, I was uh, looking at at least box rec and I was like, okay, knockout. But obviously that doesn't tell the full story. No, no he was dropped after about 35 seconds and hurt afterwards and really had to dig deep and put in a hell of a performance. He's got one of those really weird records as well as Diego Yuri Akoi. 
He's got a record with 13 wins, nine by stoppage, but eight of those stoppages are in the first round. He is you know, the type of guy you don't want to get into your seat. Let's see. But this time, McCoy got the better of him. Yeah, yeah, McCoy got better Minato. Minato himself was uh, fighting the wrong fight. He's not a puncher, and for some reason thought he'd trade with a, a much heavier-handed guy. Also a very interesting matchup today uh, on the undercard, or not on the undercard, kind of a co-main event for Abe Minamoto. Uh, that was uh, Hinata Maruta versus Coach Hiroto. And uh, he's a masterful boxer, isn't he, Maruta? Tall, featherweight, uh, won by unanimous decision. The idea seemed to be that Maruta um, was hoping to fist the winner of the main event. Uh, what he does now is perhaps comes down to whether or not Minamoto vacates or has the rematch. This was just one-sided. Hirota had no real answer to anything Maruta did. Maruta is one of the most naturally gifted fighters in the sport. He's quick, he's sharp. He, his biggest issue is probably in his head, if I'm being totally honest. He's yet to show that real killer instinct. Um, but when that comes, he's going to be an absolute danger um, throughout the 126-pound division. You put up Maruta against Aminamoto or Abe right now. Who wins? I think Minamoto Abe would win at the moment. Give it six months and it's going to be a very close fight. Maruto's yeah, he's improved. He's only 22, right? Yeah, he's still only 22. He's improved so much from the Otake bout. He learned a lot in that loss. Um, he's very, very, very unlucky against Ben Minanquil last year. He's still growing into his frame as well. He's not this big, already built up featherweight. He's a very tall, lean guy who is maturing very quickly, and you give him six months, and I think he stand a really good chance of beating either of them. Or, of course, you know, shooting off and fighting for the OBF or WBO Asia Pacific title if Abe and Minamoto do have their rematch. The fact that he got into the ring with a guy like Otake in his sixth fight just speaks to how talented he is, and like you said, maybe a little bit more seasoning. World better watch out for him. Yeah, yeah, he is. It's hard to sort of say how good he is because he is still missing one or two things. If he can just connect those remaining dots, he is going to be. A, he's going to be one of those guys that gets everybody excited, and he's also helped by the fact he does train a lot in the U.S. One of his uh, gym mates is a American who's based in Japan. So he's learning English, he's a good-looking kid, very talented, has a lot of market ability. Now it's just a case of connecting those remaining few dots. I'm excited for what will come of his career. It's only Wednesday, Scott, and we've already had a bunch of stuff to talk about, but this weekend uh, we're in for a treat. I know everyone's talking about Canelo Jacobs, and I'm excited for that fight too. That's one of the best fights in boxing this year so far, at least on paper. But on the Asian side, it's not bad either. Now, let's get to where do we start with this. Um, even before the weekend kicks off, we've got Afghan-Japanese fighter Kuduro Kaneko fighting Rikuto Adachi. We've mentioned both these guys a little bit in recent weeks because they're Japanese welterweights. They're uh, part of the new wave of the Japanese welterweight scene. And when they face off on Friday... 
we'll know which one of them will be EMR for the big success. That's about that will get massively overlooked, but I think it's one of the more interesting bouts for the uh, coming next few days. On Saturday, um, we get we get absolute action packed action from the start to the end of the day. In Japan, Masaru Tsuyoshi, who's world ranked, he's the Japanese super featherweight champion, will be facing Ken Osato in their second belt. They fought last year and Osato put Tsuyoshi down before getting stopped himself. So this is a really good rematch to be having. Has Tsuyoshi improved? Can Osato show that he's the one to improve? It's a really, really interesting rematch. I want to see uh, Tsuyoshi and Mishiro again, too. So I'm kind of pulling for Tsuyoshi, although, like you said, this one's going to be fun as well. Yeah, you mentioned the Mashiro rematch. He's actually only lost once, and that was to Masayuki Ito. So, how about that for a rematch? Oh, that would be great, too. This loss was from years ago in, like, a Rookie of the Year tournament, and very early in both guys' career. It's a logical rematch to have in the next couple of years. Maybe not this year, but in 2020, perhaps. As long as Ito keeps the belt, too, uh, that would be an exciting all-Japanese fight for a world title. It would, on the other hand, if he somehow loses, that's why it gets him straight back in the mix. So, either way, let's get that one made. On that same card, uh, Shokichi Iwata is fighting Daiki Kamiyama. Uh, Iwata made his debut last year in the US, and I think it was on a Tom Loeffler show, if I remember correctly. And he looked good. He didn't look as good as perhaps some of the other top Japanese amateur standouts, but he looked really good. This will be his Japanese debut and his first name, Daiki Kamiyama. This isn't the sort of guy you put in. Yeah, you're a novice, you're a super prospect. Kamiyama won the Rookie of the Year last year. He's um, a southpaw, he's 22, he's hungry. He could actually be too much for Iwata at this current point in time. And for Iwata, this is what you want to see, though. A big step up for him. He was a great amateur and even though maybe he didn't impress as much in his first bout, uh, a good step up, uh, we'll really see how good Iwata is. It's the sort of bout that we are seeing more and more Japanese prospects take. And it's really exciting to see so many of them jump in with a good domestic fighter on their second or third bout. It would have perhaps been wise if they'd not fought a southpaw this early, but... He's had experience with them. It should be a great test. The winner certainly gets their reputation enhanced. Um, I'm both a early 20s, so no matter who wins, the loser will have time to rebuild. So I think that's really promising as well. That's the thing. You We make too much of losses now in, in boxing. And I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if it's the Floyd Mayweather effect. Like we, You have to have a perfect record. You don't. And... We've seen Japanese fighters learn from their losses, get better, and then proceed to challenge for world title. We Not only just Japanese boxers, boxers all over the world. That's what's exciting about this is he's putting himself in there with someone who's tough. And even if he loses, like you said, he'll still learn from this and grow as a fighter. Yeah, every fight at this point in his career, and in fairness, coming out of his career, should be a learning experience. Win or lose, they need to develop the skills, and you don't develop anything by blasting out overmatched Indonesians in two rounds. Yeah, what does that get you? Maybe uh, your heartbeat going a little bit. That's about it. 
Yeah. Uh, one guy who's also in action on Saturday and has actually rebuilt from a very early career loss is Rio Sagawa, who travels to the Philippines to fight Al Tayogan. Sagawa had possibly the best 2018 of anyone not to fight for a title. He beat guys like Shingo Kawamura and Junki Sasaki, and surprisingly stopped Ryo Matsumoto. He was a former amateur standout himself and got really badly upset in his second fight by Retsu Kasaka, but has bounced back and gets his first title fight on the weekend. That bout with Tioyan will be available to watch worldwide on ESPN5, who show their stuff over YouTube um, in what is... That's one of the most exciting things about Filipino boxing right now is their access through ESPN5. Yeah, I love the shows that they put on. First of all, their broadcasters are solid. They speak English, which is nice, at least for us here in the States and and you in the UK. But uh, one, like you mentioned, because it's free or it's on public access, you're able to watch it off of YouTube. Especially at this moment in the Philippines where ALA gyms seem to have gone missing. a lot of their shows were pretty much the only televised action, and they've completely gone off the radar this year. The GABR streaming lower-level Filipino cars, but ESPN's production values and the shows they're putting on have been brilliant. They've always been worth watching. And you said, you know, I think last year, but what a free service they're providing right now. So Sagawa also back in the ring. Again, there's another guy who benefited from losing early, lost in his second fight, and He's rattled off five in a row. Yeah, so there's nothing fairness, wrong with losing. In fairness, the guy who's fighting, uh, Alte Eugen, also bounced back from losses. He lost in 2016 and 2017. He's now riding a five-win, uh, yeah, a five-fight winning streak of his own. He's rebuilt himself. Both guys are risking their winning streaks, and that's really exciting. It's sort of big step up for both guys. The winner goes on to... <laughs> goes on to potential fringe WBC ranking. One more world title bout. Funai, he's going to be challenging the young Yerwin Ankahas. And this is a fight for Ankahas where he needs to impress. Uh, otherwise, there's going to be a lot of... He already has some doubters, but there's going to be more people who just think he's not the guy. He's not the next big star because you had him being promoted as the next Manny Pacquiao. It'll be interesting to see what he does here. Ankahas, when he won his title against Major Arroyo, did so in a big upset. He looked brilliant. He then makes his first defense against Jose Alfredo Rodriguez. Looks brilliant. Gets the chance on a Manny Pacquiao card and gives Tierra Kenichita a beating. Looks brilliant. Since then, his performances have just... I don't want to say they've gone backwards, but he's failed to shine in his last four fights. Beating Jamie Collin in the UK, that was a mismatch. Beating Israel Gonzalez, again, a mismatch. Struggling and borrowing the parts of favorite against Jonas Sultan. Who remembers that bout for anything other than his place in Filipino boxing history as the first all-Filipino world title fighting, however long it was. Then absolutely stinks out the joint against Alejandro Santiago Barrios. He needs a good performance. On the other hand, Funai is pretty much made to order. He might be the mandatory, but he is the sort of guy that Funai, uh, that Ankhas should look amazing against. Funai is slow. He's a little bit clumsy. He's tough enough to take a beating, but not tough enough to break your hands on. 
there's a sense of danger when Funai throws his right hand. The reality is this should be the sort of showcase that Ankar desperately needs. And if he does indeed go through Funai easily, he needs to make a bout with one of the top guys at 115. The division's too good for him to continue to face second-rate challenges. Uh, Funai's earned his shot. Sultan earned his shot. But the division is packed with other suitable contenders that you can now take your voluntary defense against. Something like Andrew Maloney or uh, Roman Gonzalez. You know, there's good guys out there you don't need to waste time on challenges that no one wants to see first. Even someone like Akira Yaigashi would be interesting. Or Luis Concepcion, despite his limitations, brings excitement. Juan Hernandez brings excitement, brings a bit of quality. It's time that Ancas starts facing non-fighters as opposed to weaker contenders. Even a unification bout with a guy like Yafai. Yeah, yeah, I think that made that's probably the bout, but this whole ESPN and DAZN issue, and I doubt, uh, I doubt either we're going to be heading that way anytime soon. It's May 1st, Scott. This is the start of the best boxing month um, this year so far. It's jam-packed, and we'll have a lot more for you. Um, on asianboxing.info on the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. I'm excited. I know you're pumped for this as well, Scott. Yeah, yeah it's a month that is finally upon us. It's been a bit like the year's promising lots and then not delivering, but now it's all getting delivered at once and I like kids in a sweet shop all of a sudden. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Asian Boxing. We'll talk to you next week.